Welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, flow, freedom, agorism, anarchy, and more. Our mission is to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. I'm your host, Mike the Polymath Whistler, coming from the Easy Peasy Shop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 61 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. Now, today I I got a letter, which doesn't happen all the time. You know, we get a lot of a lot of junk mail, right? But I got a handwritten letter from a listener of the pod. And it had a little check in there. Actually, not so little. 60 bucks, you know? Not too shabby. You know, that's real money. And I got a $21.10 donation via PayPal a little over a week ago. You know, the, the, the donations have started, which I guess means people want more of the show. So I, you know, I just decided I'd go ahead and write a thank you note and send it back, right? As one does, you know, everybody loves to get a handwritten letter. Who doesn't? And it's funny because this, this person, I'll just call him John, you know, John lives in Elkhart, Indiana. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but I don't know if he has any connection with my with my family or not, but that that town is where my dad's side comes from. So I don't know if it's just coincidence or if there's some personal connection uh, that maybe led John to the show, but you know, it's just interesting. Of all people, somebody somebody in Elkhart decides to contribute. So, you know, first and foremost, just putting out a big thank you to John. But it got me thinking about about letters and and the story of this this fella, Lysander Spooner. You know, kind of an interesting name. Um now Lysander, he he was a entrepreneurial soul, you know, back in the eighteen hundreds. 
and he got he got frustrated because I think a lot of people got frustrated because of the cost of postage. You know, the the American post office would just keep raising the the postage rates. And it was it was kind of um I don't know, it almost seemed like nonsensical uh fare for sending a letter, right? You know, I I did a little reading here, let's see. But let's see the details. I don't want to give you any false numbers here, but <clears throat> so this says, and this is Wikipedia, so you know, take it for what it is, but it says a letter sent from Boston to Albany, New York, written on a quarter ounce sheet of paper and carried by the Western Railroad cost two thirds as much as the freight charge for carrying a barrel of flour the same distance. You know, it says it cost 18 and three quarter cents to send a letter from Boston to New York and 25 cents to send one all the way to Washington, D.C. <clears throat> now, he started his own company called the American Letter Mail Company. And uh, let me make sure that's right, actually. Uh, American Letter Mail Company, that's right. So he went into direct competition with the post office, you know, sort of on principle. He, he said, we can do this cheaper. And so he, uh, he basically started charging, you know, lower fares and the competition dramatically lowered the postage rates, you know, because the post office had to compete, but he was only allowed to be in business for a few years before basically an act of Congress shut him down. Right. If one thing, if there's one thing government hates, it's competition. But Lysander Spooner, he tried to argue that, you know, while the Constitution allows for the federal government to run a post office, it does not allow the government exclusive rights to that service. You know, it does not grant the government a monopoly, which is why they had to pass a law in order to get him shut down. Now, whether or not that law is constitutional, you know, it's been upheld. Now we do have, you know, I, I, I almost think I should do a deeper dive into sort of the history of, I guess, postal carriers, because obviously we have private carriers and we have the post office, like at this point in history. But there is some level of monopoly in that the post office has exclusive rights to our mailboxes and, you know, sort of that, that direct sort of letter carrying service is, is basically enforced monopoly. You know, we have DHL and UPS and FedEx, but to be honest, I almost think these are all companies that do a lot of work under contract for the government. You know, it's sort of like our private airlines, which come to find out aren't so private. 
you know, during, during the early days of COVID, basically, I remember that was a big argument. Do, does the government have jurisdiction over these airlines? You know, I think when it came to vaccine mandates, it was the, it was the debate of, well, if you do any contract work for the federal government via the post office, it's, you know, you'd have to abide by their regulations, right? Or risk losing your contract. So, you know, in a sense, that's a, that's a form of extortion, right? You don't work for the government, but you kind of work for the government. And if you want to keep kind of working for the government, you're going to do what we say, right? But Lysander Spooner didn't believe that that was justified or that was even legal. So he tried to take direct action, you know, and he found more efficient ways of carrying the letters. He even did local deliveries for free. How about that? Oh, they just couldn't have that. So, you know, he's kind of gone by the way of, you know, the history books. Not many people know about the American letter mail company. And how one man basically drove down the prices of postage rates significantly, right? Now, it's kind of a sad story because clearly he, uh, you know, he didn't triumph. He, he got shut down. The bastards got their way. But I think he proved a point in the process, Right? It's like they might have won, I don't know, they might have won the battle, but the idea won the war. You know, they just reinforced this this unjust monopoly, right? They they reinforced it with legal doublespeak, right? They, They tiptoed their way around the Constitution in order to ban private post. And this is this is what we see constantly, right? You find somebody who's out there solving a problem in in a private sector sphere and they're and they're doing it better than any government agency ever could. And that's a threat. You know, it's a threat to the establishment, to the, to the bureaucracy. When one entrepreneurial spirit can delegitimize an entire structure, it's, it's a threat, right? And it makes me think of this, this word dynamo. Okay. I think this is a good word to describe you know, a certain type of person. Oftentimes the the successful businessman is a dynamo, but that's not the only kind of dynamo, right? There's there's artistic dynamos, there's musical, you know, uh, you know, fill in the blank, right? Mathematic, you know, scientific dynamos, people who cannot be stopped. You know, and just thinking about that word and the way we the way we use it, 
you know, I, th- I looked up the definition. I won't like read the exact definitions I found, but there's basically two common definitions, right? One is to describe a person kind of like I am. And I believe the, the def- definition I wrote or read is somebody with an electric energy or like a, you know, energetic spirit, energetic spirit, right? But then the definition of a dynamo as a, as a part of a machine or as a machine in its own right is it's something that takes mechanical energy and converts it into electrical energy, right? A dynamo is a, is a part of a generator, you know, uh, um, hydro, hydropower, you know, at, at, at the Hoover Dam, you know, the water moves through the dam, spinning a dynamo, which generates electricity. And another way of saying, you know, mechanical energy into electric energy might be to say taking work and creating power, right? I think that's a good alternate description. Work into power, right? And a dynamo, you know, he he does this in many ways. I should say he or she or they, but I'm not going to get in the habit of that. (sighs) This fucking woke culture is going to ruin speech, but bear with me while I try to deprogram. You know, this whole thing, not to go on a tangent, but Disney World banning the use of the words ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking that's a little bit harsh to ban those words. How about ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and people of all kinds, you know? Like that sounds like something a a carni- carnival, you know, person might say or a Disney World presenter, you know, goddamn. But that's the thing is I think like these structures around us and the government itself wants to wants to control the ability to take work and create power you know the power of the post office is is great you know and a lot of people don't really consider it there's a reason that the post office is you know sort of a probably the longest standing government agency we have if i had to guess And they didn't like the dynamo that was Lysander Spooner because he was able to take work and create more power more quickly, more efficiently, and to less less cost to the consumer. And they vilified him. They, they made his business illegal. Now, he was an outspoken anarchist. So maybe they, maybe they couldn't let him win because he was so radical. But for a couple years there, he proved his point. 
So it makes me think of other sort of dynamic person personalities, you know, dynamos. I, yeah, I think I met a few dynamos last summer at this at this conference that I've referred to in the past. It's called Rogue Food. For anyone who's interested, I recommend going. It kind of rotates around. You know, I think they're going to do two of them this year. I'm not sure when they are, but they tend to be in different cities, different states, you know, each time. I want to say this year might be Texas and Florida. Go figure, right? Last year was Tennessee, and I'm not sure where else. But I went in Tennessee, and I met this man. And I think I'm going to play you a little audio clip first before I tell you who he is. Because it's just kind of an interesting way to introduce him. And you may recognize the voice if you're if you're switched on. But let's see. January 1st, 2018, 9 a.m. We just rang in the new year. And this morning, I am driving to Georgia to pick up a very important ingredient in something uh, that I plan to build this week. For five years, I've been driving this Tesla, but for 10 years, my family and I have lived off the grid. Our house has been running on lead acid batteries, about half the capacity of the pack that's in this car. I would love to have the ability to run my house off of the batteries that are in this Tesla. But there's two problems. Number one, they're in my car and I can't buy these batteries that are available in this Tesla. Tesla will sell you a power wall, but they are not selling it to people who live off the grid presently. All right, so any guesses? That was Congressman Thomas Massey, who has been called many, many things. You know, he's been called the most hated man in Washington. That was about two years ago. CNN ran a piece calling him that, or maybe asking the question, is Thomas Massey the most hated man in Congress? Or in Washington. And uh, it's because he he stirred up a lot of people's anger. You know, at the early, or rather in the early days of Corona. You know, they were going to pass a $2 trillion spending bill without a vote. Because nobody wanted to go in. Because everybody was scared, right? It was during that two weeks to flatten the curve. And uh, Thomas Massey said, no, you know, I'm not going to let this, this spending bill, this $2 trillion bill just pass uncontested. You know, I'm going to force a vote. And he said, you know, he, he told this story at the conference I was at where he drove across, you know, from Kentucky to Washington, D.C., and uh, talks about how he, you know, couldn't even stop to take a leak at a gas station because 
everything was closed, you know. And uh, <clears throat> he he basically forced a vote. Now it still passed, of course. That was the first of many. But at least he stood up and said, at least you know, I'm gonna vote no. I'm gonna do my job and and say no. Let's not. You know, which I found to be a little bit inspiring, even as an anarchist. You know, he he works in government, but he certainly seems to have a bit of an anarchist in him too. You know, like I said, he spoke at this uh, this conference called Rogue Food, and he he certainly has. You know, for a guy in government, he's got pretty solid. You know, anti-government shtick. He mostly votes no on everything. Doesn't matter if it's sponsored by Republicans or Democrats. He mostly has a good reason to say, nope, this isn't the government's job. And people hate him for it. You know? It's hilarious. Just for saying, nope, that's not our job. That's that's the state's or that's that's people's personal business. Not our job. That's kind of one of his main philosophies. You know, he's what you might call like a constitutionalist. Pretty pretty cut and dry for him what's allowed and what isn't. And it's really funny cuz you know that that clip I shared of him sort of doing this this project, this car wall, uh, the Tesla, you know, his homemade home battery out of a wrecked Tesla. It's a pretty wild project. You know, it's not something just anybody could do. Now, this fella, he he <laughs> he went to MIT and he got degrees in electrical and mechanical engineering. And just this morning, you know, I saw he. He posted a picture of his contraption on on Twitter. And the caption says, Four years. That's how long our home has been running continuously on my homebrew Powerwall, built from a wrecked Model S. It's recharged each day with a 17-kilowatt solar array. Occasionally, the display crashes, but we haven't lost power uh, for even a microsecond in the last four years. Okay, you know, it's just kind of a cool, like he built this thing, he's kind of showing everybody what's possible, right? And this jackass, you know, it's the it's the top comment because it spurred so many people to basically call this jackass out. This guy, Tim. Um, apologies, that's not going to happen again. But this guy, Tim, he says... <clears throat> And you built it without consulting a code book or a qualified electrician. And obviously it wasn't inspected by a licensed electrical inspector. When someone gets hurt, we'll know why. <laughs> and I don't even think Massey responded. Everybody else, you know, came in. You know, we'll just kind of read through a few of these. David says, there you go, want more government in people's lives. Tim says, no, I don't want anyone to get hurt. That's just an unsafe installation. 
and somebody says, um, someone says, you know, the obvious, it's almost like one of his degrees is in electrical engineering. And, uh, somebody says, LMAO, you should see some of the jobs I have come across in my 20 plus years of doing electrical work that have passed inspection. Licensing is also a joke. My sister passed, uh, the Virginia master's test with zero hours in the field. You know, it's like <laughs> basically people saying all kinds of stuff like, okay, here's a good one. Are there certified electricians who know how to build a solar battery backup system out of a wrecked Tesla? Is there an inspector who knows how to inspect it? You know, the sa same guy, Massey designed his house built his own house with trees he felled on his land, milled his own lumber from a sawmill on his own property. Which I it's true. I've seen I've seen video from inside of you know, it's a beautiful house. You know, I believe Thomas Massey made has made some good money for himself as an in, as an inventor before he went into Congress. He has multiple patents. You know, he, he's developing this thing, which you really can't find a whole lot of information on because as a congressman, he, he legally is not allowed to self-promote for financial gain, but he is developing this product. You know, I'm, I can promote him. I don't give a fuck, <laughs> but he's calling it the Klux capacitor, right? The Klux capacitor. And it's a control module for a mobile chicken tractor which if you don't know what that is I'm not going to explain it it's you know but it's like a little it's, it turns your your chicken tractor into an RC car more or less but a self programmed you know sort of self contained with a certain amount of intelligence and, and controls I believe your feeding and your watering and the movement of the tractor now, I, I'm not certain about all that he was kind of vague about what the Klux capacitor does, but it's a clear reference to Back to the Future. And it's hilarious. And he's a total nerd. You know, and it's funny to think that some people just don't don't see brilliance. They see, you know, they just want to be critics. Like some people are saying, oh, so you like solar. How about passing the Green New Deal then? And everybody says, ha ha, you know, it's like, <laughs> you clearly don't know Thomas Massey. Like, he'd say that's not our job. You know, if you want, if you want solar panels and if you want your house to be off the grid, he's the guy to talk to. But if you want the government to make, you know, make everybody go green by 2025, he's not the right guy to talk to you know zero carbon by 2030 not the guy but if you want to learn how to raise chickens and cow and pig and you know if you want to talk about theoretical physics or you know applied mathematics or you know he's a guy that can talk about a lot of things with a lot of people he's a pretty smart motherfucker but you know people people hate his guts they hate his guts. Now, not everybody, clearly. He's got people in his corner. Um, 
But yeah, if you want to see his house, it's all timber framed. It's just gorgeous. It's all it's such good craftsmanship. You know, I'm actually going to pull up a quick a quick video. Give me a moment. I'm going to I'm going to let you listen to his words one more time. Uh, there are a lot of labels floating out there, you know, uh, libertarian leaning Republican, constitutional conservative, Tea Party, deplorable. I'll, I'll go with any of those labels. I don't really uh, get caught up in labels. Look, I've been called a, a redneck and a hillbilly and a nerd and a geek. Uh, I, I find those to be terms of endearment now instead of derision. This is the Shire. I mean, look at it. It can't get any more beautiful than this. Here in these hills, these are the people that I grew up with and the families that I grew up with are the same families my kids are growing up with. And to come back here and have a real interaction with people you know, and you know you're gonna know until you die, is, is very rejuvenating to me. My philosophy is live and let live. And I think it comes from growing up here in Eastern Kentucky, where sort of the motto is, uh, you don't worry about what somebody's doing in their holler if they don't worry about what you're doing in your holler. And that comes from the people who settled these hills. Uh, they learned to be self-sufficient and they learned not to poke their nose in their neighbor's business. We had to sell our ownership and, and separate from the company in order for us to relocate here in Kentucky where we wanted to raise our kids the same way we had been raised. We bought the farm that my wife grew up on. Her, her parents still live here. And we decided to build a house and to do tangible things. I had been living in virtual reality. That was my business, a virtual reality device. Getting back to the earth and uh, was important to both my wife and I. So we wanted everything about our house to be real and nothing about it to be fake. Kentucky was the best place for us to live this dream because there are very few regulations here. I, I came back here just to blend in. I didn't want to be the nail sticking up. Shortly after coming back here and, and starting to build our house with everything real, the local government decided they wanted to start passing more laws and restricting what you could do with your land. I thought, well, I can just ignore that and just go on with my life. And I did, I, I ignored it for two or three years. And then I just couldn't take it anymore. And I wrote a letter to the editor to air my grievances with the local government. They were gonna raise our taxes that day and we stopped it from happening. So, like I said, I, you know, I met this man at Rogue Food last summer. And he's just, he's a genuine article, you know? Like he wears himself on his sleeves. He doesn't, he doesn't seem arrogant or self-righteous. He just, he seems... Seems principled and, and intelligent, you know. But a lot of people 
you know, look down on him, call him names. <laughs> you know, there's the infamous Christmas card that him and his family put out, right? You might remember they were all toting some serious hardware in terms of firearms. Said, you know, Merry Christmas, Santa, please bring some ammo. I thought it was hilarious, but, you know, a lot of people thought it was insensitive. But I'm just, I'm, I'm starting to think that it's the price you pay for being a dynamo. You know, nobody likes a dynamo because... I don't know, if you witness somebody who is a dynamo, maybe you think, why can't I do that? You know? Why can't I live in a house like that? Why can't I have a piece of land like that? Why can't I, you know, be as comfortable voting no on things that are, you know, shaped by the narrative to be something that everybody votes yes on. You know, most recently, I was reading this morning, did a quick sort of Google search to see if if there were any fresh controversies around Thomas Massey. And apparently he's one of three Republicans that voted no on what is being called an anti-lynching law the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill right now Emmett Till that's history we all should know young man who was brutally lynched in the I want to say mid 50s and kind of spurred on truthfully spurred on the civil rights movement of the 60s or at least uh, catalyzed it and apparently they've brought his name and stuck it on the title of this bill, you know, to appeal to our, our good nature. And, uh, and so who would vote against an anti-lynching bill which serves to classify what is a hate crime? You know, it's a bit broader than anti-lynching. It, it includes some stuff in there about conspiracy being a, a hate crime. And Thomas Massey is the kind of guy who isn't going to pass something for the brownie points. He's going to look at the details and he's going to say, what is this truthfully? And in his opinion, and in mine as well, you know, he recognizes it for what it is a mostly redundant piece of legislation which will only serve to grant more authority to the federal government than it deserves now i say that because you know as thomas points out it's already a crime passing this law does not does not create a new charge you know it only it only increases the I guess the the penalty but you know when it comes to murder you know capital first degree murder like 
that that is already the highest crime. So it's again, it's a redundant piece of legislation, which in essence, you know, Thomas Massey argues that there's really only a small handful of things that are classified in the Constitution as federal crimes. And according to the Fifth Amendment, everything else is left up to the states, and every state has hate crime legislation. So this is a, you know, it's it's basically a sham and it's a it's a sly way to try to increase sort of the federal police powers. You know, this 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 bit that's in the bill about conspiracy, you know, it's just very shady. So he voted no, but he was one of only 3. So of course it passed. Now I don't believe it's become a law yet. It still needs to go to the president's desk, but and if it becomes law, what difference does that make, truthfully? But at least somebody on principle says this just isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Like we've already passed these laws. Why are we passing them again? It's, you know, it's just Most folk would just read the title and say, oh, well, obviously, we should pass that. Golly, you know. But anyways, I don't mean to, you know, go off the rails here. I'm just trying to point out that it seems that nobody really likes a dynamo. You know, it makes me think of Atlas Shrugged, which I've actually never, I've never read the book, but I watched the three-part movie series right it's pretty it's a lot of content like eight nine hours worth of film now imagine like lord of the rings but lower budget and uh more libertarian (laughs) but no you know if you haven't ever read atlas shrugged or seen the movies it's sort of about how the dynamos got sick and tired of being taken advantage of and guilted. You know, the, the leaders of industry, the, the scientific geniuses, the mathematical prodigies, the, the musicians, you know, over time became frustrated that it seemed that they were being punished more and more for their accomplishments instead of, you know, being appreciated for the influence that they have. You know, the positive, you know, financial and economic influence and the, the, you know, so what they do, this whole class of, of what you might call producers, you know, contributors, you know, dynamos, they, they decide that to prove a point, they're going to disappear. And they all go to a small little place and Colorado where they hide from the rest of the world and you know of course this is all fantasy this is all fiction but the point is as they as they withdraw from from society for for lack of respect of their works you know society increasingly falls apart without them you know to to make the American Letter Mail Company illegal 
1851 or whenever it was only served the government, right? It didn't serve the citizen who for a short time was you know was able to enjoy you know competitive rates. It was it was simply an act of you know power being grabbed saying this dynamo needs to be shut down. He's producing too much power on his own outside of our control. We just can't have that. And that's the entire theme of Atlas Shrugged is, like I said, these folks just realizing slowly over time that their talents and their contributions were being taken for granted. I don't think we should do that. I don't think we should push those dynamos to the point of withholding their gifts. You know, see a guy like Thomas Massey, you know, he's taken a lot of heat in his time as a congressman. I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to retire at some point. I'm not sure I'm not sure if he's running for re-election or not. Um, I kind of hope he does because he's, as far as I can tell, one of the few, you know, truly principled people in Congress. It might not be 100% fair, but it just seems like he's the most consistent. You know, it's kind of like he wears the wrist, you know, the, the, the bracelet. Instead of what would Jesus do, it says, what would Ron Paul do? You know, because he just always seems to, he seems to be right along with all of what Ron Paul stood for. And you could say he's more like Ron Paul than Rand. But Rand's okay. But, you know, I just have so little faith that there's ever going to be a political solution. So, you know, I, I, I just wouldn't be surprised if, if one day Thomas says, hey, you know, I tried my best, but, you know, just I was fighting an uphill battle. You know, this, this system is impossible to thwart. But he's, he's had his impact. I'll give him that. You know, small victories. Maybe, maybe that's enough for him. But if he decides to just retire and settle in to his off-grid homestead and keep, you know, at least I hope he keeps on inventing things. But, you know, if he was a character in Atlas Shrugged, he probably, he would invent things but never, ever sell them to the masses. You know, he would keep them for himself. Just like, you know, John Galt. In, you know, in that, in that tale, in Atlas Shrugged, John, John Galt is the man that, that invents a perpetual sort of engine. You know, an infinite power supply, a clean energy source, and decides not to give it away decides to keep it a secret because in his estimation it wasn't earned you know i'm 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 not doing the best job of sort of explaining this this concept of you know sort of the entre- 
entrepreneurial right. You know, the, the, the right to either contribute what you have or not. Just say, nope, I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to let anyone else take it from me, but I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it. It's mine. Maybe I'll sell it to you later. If you earn it, if you can pay for it, you know, it's kind of a, the the issue at hand throughout that book is like, what is selfish and what is, what is proper self-motivation? Is there a difference? You know, it is, it is a story of sort of capitalism versus socialism you know, like I said, these producers, the, the, the class of, of the brilliant sort of feeling like they're being used. That, that their skills and their contributions are being used. And that, and that if, if it isn't fair, they won't do it anymore. You know, it's a it's a very interesting sort of logical debate. And you know, I, I come more and more to think you know, I, I've said before I'm I'm an anarcho capitalist, but is that not redundant to say? I think there is no difference. I think you know, capitalism for all of its, you know, ugliness for all of its chaos, for all of its, you know, profit motive, it is the most organic, you know, natural, self-organizing financial system there is. You know, I don't really like the name capitalism because I think it's at this point it's been tarnished, it's been ruined, just like the word anarchy has but I can't come up with a better word. You know, it, the free and open market is the closest representation you know, we can do with, with money that, that acts similarly to ecosystems. I've said this before, you know, an, e- an economy is an ecosystem. And I can't remember the line exactly, but I believe it, it was in, the movie version of that of Atlas Shrugged where the question is posed, you know, is money the source of all evil, right? Or the root of all evil. And I believe that, you know, the answer is no. That without money, what means is there for peace? Right? Sort of that money is the great the great negotiation the ability to come to to a mutually beneficial agreement without that we have nothing but nothing but exploitation you know people think capitalism is exploitive exploitative however you say it but i believe that's the crony capitalism that you witness around you it's a bastardization you know, truthfully, like money, 
I think is the only thing we can we can use aside from weapons when it comes to solving complex issues. It's either we negotiate, we strike a deal or you know or we fight for resources, one or the other. It's you know I've had a I've had a ongoing, you know, since I was sort of like when I first started thinking deeply about things, I kind of had my anti-capitalist moment. You know, as I got very into environmentalism, you know, it's a very natural kind of response to think, oh, you know, capitalism is the engine of the of the bulldozer that is destroying mother nature, right? But that's an oversimplification. You know, in permaculture, we say the problem is the solution. You know, if capitalism is the problem, then it also must be the solution. If, if chaos is the problem, chaos is the answer. And I know this seems counterintuitive, but the more seeming order you have around you, the higher the probability for destructive chaos as a result. You know, you have sort of creative destruction and reconstruction, or you have just plain old destruction. You know, you either have artificial solutions or natural ones. You either have God's law or man's. I think these are all ways of describing the same idea. You know, I call it anarchy. Some call it free market capitalism. You know, I think it's one and the same. I, you know, more and more I just I'm not sure if anarchy has so much to do with fighting government. I believe it's more just a recognition of of the way things are. Not not the way they ought to be in any idealistic sense. Like it's almost like the you know, anarchy is 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 the overarching thing. You know, it is what keeps the electrons spinning while gravity holds it together. You know, it's the it's the dance it's the movement it's the it's the infinite possibility the infinite connection the infinite interconnectedness i should say you know it's it's the system that you can't even conceptualize because it's so infinitely complex you know the ability for work to create power it's just fundamental it's a it's a natural law and it requires work right like to be a dynamo there needs to be work being done that is then translated. You know, in the issue of power, I think I'm going to get deep into this issue of power 
with my next guest who's been on the show before. You know, we've been trying to set a day. Hopefully we can do it soon. But we've touched on the issue of power in regards to anarchy. And I think it's time we address that a little more deeply. Because it's often a question of who has how much power. And is that justified? You know, have they earned the power that they're exercising through work? Or have they taken it via the work of others? Because it can't, you know, the power doesn't exist without the work. You know, our government is only functional because we, the hamsters, keep the wheels turning. Okay, I think that's all I've got to say. You know, if you're interested, I highly recommend, even though it's quite a lot of content, the Atlas Shrugged three-part movie series. It's kind of funny because... You can almost tell that like the budget for each, like maybe they kind of shot their load a little bit on the first one because part one is, is a pretty well produced, you know, movie. It really is, you know, a couple of, you know, named actors that you probably don't know their name, but you'll recognize them and sort of part two, a little bit less so and part three, a little bit less. So they kind of get a little cheesier, almost like more made-for-TV feeling as they go, I'll just be honest, but the story I found very compelling. You know, I've been told many times to read Atlas Shrugged. Like I said, um, I, I, I tried to read The Fountainhead once upon a time, and I, I'd, I'd probably give that one another try too. Um, maybe I'm not giving Ayn Rand her due. Um, like I said, I just found it difficult to get into the last time I picked that book up. But watch the movie if you're so inclined. It's on Amazon. Um, or I should say movies. And uh, just take it for what it is. Like a grand sort of metaphor. You know, a, a big tale of morality. You know, with a focus on sort of economics and politics. But very, like, entertaining, very fantastic in in a certain respect okay folks that'll be all talk to you later this has been mike the polymath with the easy peasy podcast come back again <laughs> <laughs>